Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Mel. And I'm Trish. And this is the Don't Give a 50 podcast. Let's make getting old the new gold, as oh, you say. I like that. I like that one too. That was mine. I know. That was mine. Hi, 50-ishers. It's Mel and Trish. Welcome to this week's episode of Don't Give a 50, a podcast for midlife women who dare to be awesome and just don't give a 50. Hey, Trish, we've received a gorgeous review from 50-isher Jodie Eustace. She wrote, hi, fabulous ladies. Thank you for I your like podcast. I like her already. I know. I listen every week and always feel so much lighter after listening to your lovely voices, contagious laughter, amazing guests, and relatable life experiences. It makes me feel so much love and acceptance whenever I listen. Thank you for being fabulous 50 ladies. From one fabulous 50-isher, keep on being the fabulous you. So thank you so much, Jodie. We really appreciate you taking the effort to write that. Yeah, and write it's your lovely thoughts to and know feedback. that we are on the same track mm. and are communicating that we're all in this together. Yeah, and communicating things that people are interested in and want to hear. Yeah, and, and can, can relate to. to. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. It's that whole facade that everyone's got their shit together, but yeah, we don't really. Yeah. We don't really. But we're, we're giving it a crack. So please take a moment to rate and review our podcast. <laughs> I'm a living example of that. <laughs> you and me both. Please take a moment to rate and review our podcast. It helps immensely in the behind-the-scenes stats world and it acts as sort of currency that helps us grow and seek sponsorship to cover the production costs of bringing you all these wonderful guests And if you're wondering week. how to do it, if you look at our Instagram feed, there's a square that says rate and review and it'll have me narrating, stepping you through it. Did a mighty fine job, Trish, too, Thank just you. saying. Remember to share Don't Give a 50 to your friends as well. The more Can people that are say, out there listening to us, the better. That voice that I have now... Where was that during this podcast? Because I sound like I've just smoked yeah. a packet of Winnie Reds during the podcast. <laughs> Let me tell you, you can look forward to that. We have just had the most fabulous chat. And, yeah, Trish did have a few voice issues towards the end. <laughs> There's uh, the old Winnie Red smoker's yeah. voice. <laughs> Don't know where that came full pa- from. Full pack last night with a few black rats. <laughs> so we had a wonderful chat with a really oh, delightful, uh, yeah, an, an inspiring, articulated 50-ish Kim Adams. Kim has qualifications in psychology, management, eating psychology and yoga. She worked for 20 years in law enforcement, working her way up to middle management. But when her job disappeared due to organisation restructuring, this led to anxiety and depression, which 
which led Kim on a different path. Yeah, and she went over to Bali and taught, taught English taught, at that point. Yes, English to teenagers and then she's embarked on a different trajectory. But we had a wonderful chat to her mm. about introverts, extroverts, about leadership and about the work that she now does with midlife women in terms of self-belief, things like that, really important things that affect most of us. I think so. And we were both pretty fascinated with the extrovert and introvert formation. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The chat. I don't know yeah. because I just, I could identify so much of myself oh, in what she was saying, Trish. Yeah. I think as we've chatted since the podcast, it's like when we were growing up, we all thought as teenagers or late teens, early 20s, that we all knew who we were. Mm-hmm. And even though we had some insecurities, we were pretending that we had our shit together. Yeah. So I think that all snowballs to a point where you actually go, who is or who am I? Who am I comfortable the most with being? Which version of myself? Is it the extrovert? Is it the introvert? Because Mm. I think many of us have both of those people... (laughs) Within us and one's generally more powerful than the other. Pending the Mm. setting. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, here's our chat. (laughs) Enough of me rambling on. It'll make sense. When you listen to our chat with Kim. Here's Kim Adams. Hi, Kim. Welcome to Don't Give a 50. It's great to meet you virtually. Tell us how Palm Cove is today. Palm Cove is a little wet and a little cool, and by cool, probably 26 degrees. Oh, no way. Oh, my gosh. Do you love it when you can actually put a jacket on? I do. I like to come down to Brisbane in winter for maybe two days, wear my favourite boots, a jacket, a scarf, and then I'm done. Yeah, tick the box. Next. Then you, yeah, living in the tropics suits you, obviously. It'd be like us when we go to Melbourne and think, oh, my gosh, I need these boots, I need Mm. this jacket, and then you get back home and you go, what? I really did it. I got a little bit carried away. (laughs) Reminds me when I went to Melbourne in the 80s and I nearly dyed my hair black and got it cut like the cure. Thank God I did Robert Smith. (laughs) Yeah. String of pearls. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) We moved here probably seven years ago from Brisbane and I still have my box of fur jackets and knee-high boots that I don't want to get rid of, but I honestly, I don't think I've worn them in years. No. You know what? Get rid of them and then just treat yourself a new pair next time. Yeah, just get something new. We'll go yeah. shopping with you. Oh, I like that. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's get going. So Kim, holy shit, you've done a lot and we're going to cut to the chase. So you worked in law enforcement organisations for 20 years, reaching middle management. However, during that time, you were unaware that your anxiety and unhealed trauma were being masked by alcohol misuse, disordered eating and convincing yourself you just wanted to be one of the boys. So would you feel comfortable unpacking this for us? It's a big one. I know a big one to get started, but it is part of your story and it's obviously part of the reason that you are the amazing person that you are today. So tell us. Yes, that is a big one. Where do I begin? I'll probably begin by saying in the midst of all that, I loved it. I loved those years working with police, some of the best years of my life. And I've had some of the best roles, I think. And at the time, I was really immersed in it. I was really enjoying it. I felt like I was valued and I belonged somewhere, which is a really important part of police culture that often doesn't get spoken about. We hear a lot of the negative outcomes of poor police culture. But one of the positive things, even though I wasn't a police officer, I was a civilian in a management role in police, which meant I was often the only female in the room. I'm five foot tall. Most of the senior police officers were six foot tall males. So I was often the odd one out, but I never felt it. I really felt I belonged to part of the police family. So The positive thing during that time was I did feel I belonged. However, looking back and when things did come to a crunch in about 2015, there was a lot of pretending, I guess, a lot of avoiding what was going on in the inside for me. And I think a a lot of women, particularly high-functioning anxiety-type women, as I came to see that I was, is that we do pretend really well. We do wear that 
task of being perfect or being ambitious or being in control, being confident really well, so much to the point that we don't even realize we're doing it ourselves. Yes. It, it's almost like I'm not anxious. I'm not, I don't have any confidence issues. I'm p- doing perfectly fine. When on the inside, that's not really the case at all. So I think during those years, whilst I was being very ambitious and going up the ladder and feeling one of the boys, I didn't think there was a problem when I was younger. And then you start getting into your 40s and life starts to change a little. The organisation started to change. I had my second marriage breakdown. And that's when I think the universe tends to, if you don't make changes, the universe tends to give you a kick and make the changes for you. Yeah. And that's what happened around 2015 when things just didn't start to fit anymore. I realized I was drinking too much in order to fit in because that was a very social drinking culture yep. in the workplace as yep. in many cultures, but in policing there was that as well. And my anxiety was being masked not only by the high functioning, getting in there, being overly confident, one of the boys, oh, yeah. but I think there's not a lot enough discussion around how anxiety does play into drinking and alcohol consumption mm-hmm. and used as part of that social masking and enabling me to take down that mask of being in control and feeling a little bit more loose and a little bit more relaxed. But again, that's just another tool in order to fit in. So I guess those things started to happen around 2015 where I wasn't comfortable with who I was becoming. Mm -hmm. I wasn't comfortable where I was in the organisation. There was a huge amount of change happening. I really started to question who I was, what I was doing, was it really important? Were the people I was surrounding myself with the right people and the people who I wanted to be more like? And that's when I went to Bali to teach English to teenagers. Mm, wow. You do yeah. when I do want to. Yeah. <laughs> Kim, what was your role in the police department, in the police in management? management? Yeah. So I managed the research and evaluation unit for the Queensland Police Service. So that role was a statewide role where we looked at evaluating the rollout of new programs, new policies, new trial of how police do their business. And we evaluated whether that was working, what were the outcomes, and then feeding that back up to the senior executive in terms of their decision making on where they should be putting their funding, Mm -hmm. how they should implementing new police procedures. For example, one of the projects I was involved in was the rollout of the TASER trial. So up until... Ah, uh, oh my gosh. Well, there were... Queensland Police didn't use tasers. So we rolled out a trial with a select number of officers to see what were the implications of using tasers to Mm. the public, to policing outcomes, to safety, etc. And I was involved in that. And that's why you've probably seen on my website, I've been tasered. So I wasn't a criminal. I, as part of being the evaluation lead for that, I felt it was important that I actually experience. Yeah. yeah. um, Okay. And what did it feel? Putting yourself on the line. Oh my gosh. Your body on the line for the job. I know, and I would highly recommend that if ever a police officer yells at you, stop taser, that you stop everything you're doing. Okay. Okay. So it's not like just accidentally touching the electric fence. Yeah. It's worse. On the uh, it only goes for five seconds, but the <laughs> longest five seconds of your life. <laughs> and they tricked me. They tricked me when we did the training to use it, where we had the exposure. Was Kim, can um, I just ask, the... Did anyone else put up their hand, or was it just you? <laughs> That's the funny thing because in the training it's only voluntary that you get exposed to the actual taser and on the day I was in the training course as we're walking down to the area that they do it, the other male police behind me were going, we're not effing doing this. This is stupid. I'm not going to do it. So little me, I was the first one that put up my hand and the guy behind me, oh, fuck, now we all got to do it. (laughs) Good girl. Yeah, shaming them into it. I love it. Yeah, well done. Kim, when you tell that story, 
I automatically go to that scene in the Hangover movie where they get released from the watch house and one of the provisos is that they have to get tasered in front of the students that are oh, doing the, yes. <laughs> the tour of the station that day. And Alan just won't go down. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes, so tasers at unfortunately, in the news at the moment or in the last few weeks. Yeah, there's been a terrible incident. Yeah. Mm. So what did it feel like? Can you give us the, so it goes for five seconds, you were saying? So electricity for people who understand electricity pulsates like at multiple times per second. Mm. And I swear that in every second you can feel the thousands of little pulses. So it's like a massive electric shock. And one of the barbs goes to the top shoulder and the other barb goes down to the hip. So it locks your whole body up. So you you lock in a position, Mm. which causes you to fall over. And yeah, you can't speak, you can't do anything. They tricked me by having the special response team officers as the guys to hold us and stop us from falling. So I was distracted by these two very handsome, muscular <laughs> operational police officers. You and next minute, yeah. <laughs> a barb oh in the shoulder down I went. Oh yes. my gosh. What, how do you feel afterwards? Like after the electricity stopped, like how was your recovery? Is it immediate or is it sore muscles? Is it radox bath? What happens? That's the amazing thing. And that's, that was why I think it was important for me to experience it because then I can understand a lot of the, when people are arguing around why you shouldn't do things or you should do things. I think it's important to understand what the experience is like. And while it was intense for those seconds, as soon as it stops, okay. it's wow. like nothing. Yep. Wow. The pain, there's no, nothing. I had no bruises. I had, there's no, hmm. it's on or off. Would you do it, Mel? Yeah, I would. Would you? Yeah. Shit's scared of heights, but yeah. I would put my hand up to do something like that. it's only five seconds? Yeah. Yeah, that's the thought going through my head. Yeah. I'm going, no. Yeah, it's only five seconds. No, no. Yeah, and yeah. I think you're just braver for some things than other things, aren't you, Kim? Yeah. Like Good a conversation starter. A great, great conversation starter. Story. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I digress. I digress. Um, I just want to backtrack just ever so slightly to something that you mentioned, a term that you mentioned when you were answering that very lengthy first question of mine, which was social masking. Can you explain? a little bit about what social masking is, please? It is the whole, I guess, fake it to make it uh, term that many people would have heard where you can intentionally pretend to be confident for a short time. For example, doing a public speaking, a lot of people, you take a deep breath and you swallow and you fake it for that moment and then you crumble afterwards. But the social masking is like that all the time. Mm. So if you have, for example, anxiety and difficulty interacting, issues with confidence, but you have to, you want to fit in because you are intelligent, capable, educated, you want to get ahead, you have a lot to offer, but that anxiety on the inside is bubbling away. You learn how to put the mask on, like the fake it to make it to stand on stage, but you do that all day. Yeah, and it's exhausting. And we see this, that high-functioning anxiety. So I think for me anxiety can is an energy, like emotion is an energy, and anxiety can show up as an emotion that stops you from being able to do something. So the typical anxiety of someone who's really shy, social anxiety where you might not go out and interact, the emotion is so strong that you can't go out and interact. But emotion can also then be used to propel you forward. So someone who has high-functioning anxiety uses that energy to actually go after things and still be ambitious and still want to achieve things, but that anxiety, that feeling is bubbling underneath. Mm. So on the surface, confident, capable, possibly very outspoken, a bit of a perfectionist, on the inside, self-doubt, self-criticism, constantly (laughs) thinking, what do people think of me? Oh. Are they judging me? Can I say next? Uh, that constant, uh, like your mind is going 100 miles an hour behind mm. and the fate is, I got this. Yeah. Oh, my goodness me. Yeah. Ruminating. Oh, yeah. Trish I and I are looking at each other going, yep, yep. that's us. Time. That box. Tick that box. Kim, I'm fascinated by the fact that you described yourself or you describe yourself, and I quote, as ambitious, outwardly confident and an introvert masquerading as an extrovert. So that combined with what you were just talking about, 
I'm fascinated and want to know more because, Trish, I feel that I'm a bit the same. Oh, I'm very absolutely. much the same as you. Outwardly, we do present as quite confident women, but inside there's a whole lot more going on. We do present as extroverts. I can be really quite introverted at oh, times. Yeah. So and it's the stories that go on in my head sometimes. Yeah, so I want to know more crazy. about that. How is that showing up for you? Okay, so how does this show up for me? For me, it is that weird coexistence of confidence and burning desire to make a difference with the constant rumination and overanalyzing of everything I do in order to do those things that I desperately want to do, which kind of, I don't know if that makes sense. There's this push-pull happening where I do want to step out and I can be very extroverted and I can be the life of the party and I can do all those things, but it takes an inordinate amount of energy and then I need to withdraw and recoup. I think it also then in our society or in the work situation, extroverted leaders tend to be noticed and rewarded more, I think, than introverted leaders. In terms of thinking about was that just a policing environment? I don't believe so. Now I Mm. work a lot with organisation that has predominantly women and I still think this is the case is that extroverted leaders are seen, identified and acknowledged as leaders. So if you're an introverted person, you soon learn that you need to open up and be that more introverted, more extroverted. You need to speak up be more opinionated. You need to be louder in order to be heard and seen. And so I think that's where that masking comes in because you think, I do want to get ahead. I do want to be a leader because I believe I have a lot to give. But no one listens to me if I'm my quiet, introverted self, Mm -hmm. analysing problems in a more slow, considered way, listening to people, tapping into the emotive or the more emotional intelligence side of things. When you have someone who's an extroverted leader who is front and centre, they walk in, take control and they are louder and more opinionated. So we learned to do that sort of behaviour in order to be a leader. It's almost the charisma almost takes over from the emotional intelligence or the intelligence. Like it's obviously to be a good leader you need both, but it seems that the charisma sometimes is more identified easily than the other. Yes. I think there's a wonderful person, Susan David, who's written books on quietly and the more introverted leader. And I remember reading her work years ago and I was like, wow, yeah, I get that. I I see I want to be able to bring more of that out in myself. Yes, I can be I do have an opinion. Doesn't just because I don't walk into the room and loudly take over the meeting doesn't mean I, I don't have an opinion. But what I needed to learn was how do I get my opinion across in my way, in a meaningful way that makes a difference but doesn't leave me feeling drained and like I'm wearing yeah. that mask and pretending to be like Sarah over here who is really naturally very outgoing and knows everyone and talks to everyone. And yeah. how do I be a leader in a way that is comfortable for me but still gets the outcomes yeah, that I want to it's congruent with who you are and it leaves you feeling like, I'm being authentically me. I'm not being someone else. I'm being me and I'm comfortable doing that. So you feel like you're showing up honestly in all facets. Yes, and recognising that introverted people are often the best listeners because we don't always feel like we need to be talking, which means we're often doing more listening, which is an excellent quality of leadership. And being and it would be also in. good if you're a podcaster because then, like me, you wouldn't speak over your guests, so I get that. <laughs> are you the one that's also a Gemini? No, that's no, me. I'm the Capricorn, Mel's the I'm Gemini. I'm the Gemini. Yes, I, I'm a Gemini as well. And oh. I think that can sometimes be a trait of ours because we tend to be thinking a few steps forward mm. and then the other side as well. And it's, come on, everybody, keep up. So, yes, getting back to the introverted leader, I think there is there are so many great qualities mm. that are actually what we need in leadership. Yeah, so how do and you that do what, that? You were saying that to show up and get your opinions across and whatever is very differently to Sarah, the extrovert in the room. How do you do that? Are there some specific things and strategies that you employ in order to do that effectively while, as Trish said, remaining authentic to yourself for all our introverted 50-ish 
listeners out there? I think the first thing is don't try to be like extroverted Sarah in the meeting. Don't try to overly speak up and say more than what you need to say. I think what we see is an extroverted person who might talk a lot around their idea. So then we think that's how we get an idea across. The best leaders I've seen are the ones who can encapsulate an idea succinctly and meaningfully by taking a read of the room, by understanding the issue and succinctly putting that back out on the table at a key moment. Oh, yeah. So I think this is where an inverted leader can do that really well. Read the room, feel confident in yourself to sit back and not say anything immediately because there's that pull that desire. If I don't speak up now, no one will pay any attention to me. So read the room. Mel's giving me side eye now again. I have to tape my mouth up sometimes, I think. I'm just dying to get my ideas out. And it can be sometimes really frustrating, Mm. but then learning to have your, your moment. So pick your moment. Body language is an important thing. And I can't remember the amazing person who did a TED talk about this many years ago and really kicked off this whole idea of executive presence, starting with the body language. So if you're sitting back and you're hunched over, you're retreating, you shrink, literally, you need to take up space, you need to get those shoulders back, you need to sit up straight. If you're standing, use your arm create physical space and size. So there's that executive presence that comes from your whole demeanour and how you... How do we do that as shorter women? I used to go for the six-inch heels now that I'm old and... Sensible (laughs) and we're all in sneakers. (laughs) (laughs) I I have such bad feet, I think, because I spent my whole Mm, career in police wearing as I possibly could. It does have its place, but I can't do that anymore. No. Again, that's working on the inner confidence, the internal belief, because you can take note when you're in a next in a meeting or a social situation and look around the room and I think you can pick the people who are leaders. And it's funny, I've had people say this to me over the years when I was in policing. As I said, I was often the smallest in the room, maybe the only female. And the senior executive would turn to me for my opinion and people say, Everyone always looks to you for your opinion. And so it took me a while to start unpacking what is it I'm doing that is giving that message. And I think part of that is starting to come into being comfortable with who you are, knowing your business. You can't be a leader. You can't be heard if you're not going into the room prepared, doing your preparation, holding that space, not speaking unnecessarily. Again, I think that's that I've seen so many people who are just all air. You can just pick your moments, pick your points. And also in tonality, as Australians in particular, we have a tendency to go up at the end of a sentence. So it's like, I'm questioning. This is my opinion. All the time. <laughs> what do you mean? I think we should saying, I don't know what I should do. So yeah, tonality is important. I don't think we need to sound like a man, but we need to do, definitely look at our tone and how we are phrasing our sentences, not as questions. Women can often have the tendency to almost be apologising consistently. If you're sitting in a meeting and you say, I'm sorry, but I was just thinking that, Mm. why are you sorry? Men do not say that around the meeting table. You are right. They don't. Why do we do that? I don't know. It's just a habit we have. So catch, start to catch yourself how many times a day that you say, I'm sorry, Mm. before you say something. That's so yes. true, isn't it? Oh, it's so true. Yeah. It's so true. Kim, this is, it's really, what you're saying is so interesting. And I think to be like you is to be powerful. Like it's yeah. it, that knowledge and understanding, that level of self-awareness that you have to walk into a room with all of that is mm. powerful in itself. I think it's the control, the confidence to have the control. Oh, yeah, to be yeah. measured. I love it. It's so Confidence, good. control, measured, not high on my list of <laughs> character strengths. <laughs> Yeah. Nor mine, <clears throat> Trish, nor mine. But we're still a work well, in progress, aren't we, Kim? Absolutely. In our 50s, we're still evolving. We're still learning. And sometimes I think, yeah, sometimes you have good days and sometimes you have bad days and you have to learn to roll with that too and add a sense of humour to it. Most of the time, none of us are doing brain surgery at this moment. So if you make a mistake, 
move on. It's so easy to get stuck into, again, that perfectionist overanalyzing mm. every little thing. It's like learning to do your planning, do your preparation, take your deep breaths and come into your body. And that's probably another thing is that connection with your body and being present in the room and with yourself and then learning to let it go after that mm. and be who you are. And if that who you are is someone who likes to crack jokes and do that. Now you've said that, it's so true. It's you've got to be true to your personality as well. If you are comfortable and you're being true, that's the key. So if you're an extrovert and you're being extrovert, fine. But if you're actually an extrovert, but you're an introvert. <laughs> like an extrovert, introvert. Once again, it's good to just be quiet and know what you're talking about before you open your mouth. <laughs> Exhibit A. <laughs> That's why we're having this conversation. Was going somewhere. In my head, I had a really good point to put across. But I, do you know what? I understood what you were trying to say, and I'm sure Kim did own as well. It. Be yourself and own it is exactly. really a simpler way of saying what I was trying to say. Yeah. I was just reflecting then on one of the leaders I respected most when I was in Queensland Police, who was definitely an introvert. And he was amazing. And I was thinking then as we were going off in different directions, the thing that made him such a good leader as an introvert is that he was truly present with you when you were speaking to him. Yeah. So you don't have to be the loudest, but if you can make people around you feel like they're important by actually being present with them in the discussion, which sometimes, and I'm not trying to bag extroverts here, but if they're so busy being the person they are, mm. sometimes they forget that the person in front of them needs to really be seen and heard. And sometimes as an introvert, that might be your superpower, your ability to be present with someone fully. And I can remember going into his office and he was quite a senior executive, obviously had 10,000 super important things happening. And I was a more junior person at that point. And he would stop everything, turn away from the computer and look directly at me and listen to everything I said. Wow. It made me feel important. It made me want to do like I would have done anything for him in the yeah, workplace. Yeah. because You also come yes. across those people as well in social <clears throat> settings, people that make you feel very connected, the people that when you're having a conversation with them, if you're at a party, socially or anywhere, it's the eye contact, it's the genuine curiosity People that you walk away thinking, gosh, they always make me feel yeah. so special and yeah. like they really do care. Mm. And, and, and maybe that's not their intention. Maybe they just are actually really lovely, mm. curious people. But I do try yeah. to do that with people because I think there's nothing worse than having a conversation and someone's looking over your shoulder trying to oh, see who's better to talk to. 100%. Or if you're in one-way traffic. Where they're just talking about themselves. Yes. So there's literally oh, nothing given to you. How do you talk to people in the car? <laughs> it doesn't matter which way you're driving. <laughs> oh, sorry, Exhibit A. The B. Well, I thought that was what you were meaning as well for a second. Now I'm thinking. No, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's my metaphor for people that talk about yeah. themselves constantly. You're just in one way traveling. There's nothing coming towards you. Yeah. The penny dropped yeah. at the end. Just, yeah, thank you. Yeah. I thought I'd use that one, that old like chestnut it. on I you like before, Trish. I like it a lot. <laughs> Kim, let's move on to some of the stuff that you're doing now, some of the great work. So you have a degree in psychology, a master's in management, and you were enrolled in a PhD when you decided that you'd had enough of studying, which is fair enough. So you now work with midlife women to help them overcome anxiety and self-limiting beliefs. Tell us what yeah. this work involves. I also have over the years and part of the 2000s. Actually, Kim, sorry to interrupt yet again, yeah. but before you go on with that story, we're just going to cut to a short break. So, 50s Tribe, let us tell you about one of our little favourite shopping haunts. Sweet Charlotte Studio. So they have two standalone stores on the Sunshine Coast. However, they have a really large online store. And this is important for all our 50-ishers who don't live on the sunny coast yes, and can't access. Like me. If you live remote <laughs> like me, it's very handy. The website itself is so easy to navigate and you may even recognise some of the models when you go on there. Yes, because Trish and I are on there quite a lot, <laughs> which is just an absolute thrill to do that. So yeah, if you jump online, you will see us. Staff are super helpful, so if you are shopping online, you can always give them a call or reach out. Also, they have 
heaps of natural fibres, linens and silks and gorgeous relaxed styles that I absolutely love. Visit their website, sweetcharlottestudio.com.au to get 10% off your first order. Enter the code DGAF10. That's DGAF in capitals, 10. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So in 2015, when everything started to change and I went off to Bali to do some teaching, teaching teenagers English of all things, I also got reconnected back with my yoga roots. So I've been practicing yoga off and on since I was about 17. It's come and gone over the years and in different ways. And probably during my 20s and 30s, yoga was really about the physicality. How hard can I go? Bikram yoga. It was all about using yoga as exercise. But in 2015, whilst I was in Bali, I really started to connect back with the spiritual side of yoga and wanting to step more into learning more, not just about the exercises, but the philosophy and the psychology that sits behind it. So I did my yoga teacher training as well in Bali with an Australian teacher who was amazing and I had a wonderful time doing that. So then I've started to incorporate the yoga with the psychology with spirituality because I think that is a really integral mix of the body, mind, spirit, I guess, that we hear all the time around how we need a holistic approach. So for me, a lot of the anxiety work or the overwhelm and the self-limiting beliefs, women who experience that often are very disconnected from their body. They get stuck in their head. They're very good at thinking through things so much to the point that they never stop thinking through anything and get disconnected from their body. On the way through doing that, I'm multi-passionate. I'm a Gemini. I go off in 20,000 directions at once. I also did my eating psychology certificate because I was really interested in body image and how that impacts on women and their health and their journey through weight loss and loving their own body. So the yoga is the connection with the body. The psychology is the connection with the mind. And then the spiritual aspect is wrapping it all up in that we all have some whether we have a belief in our higher power or a belief in nature or a belief in our own higher self, we need to encapsulate everything we do within that understanding of who we are. So if we can work with our body, we can work with our mind and then work with the energy that we exist in, then we can start to look at, okay, where's this anxiety coming from? How can I shift it through myself. As I mentioned, I think earlier in our discussion, anxiety is an emotion that's just energy. Our emotions are energy. And with anxiety, we do find that it gets stuck in the body. So a lot of the yoga asanas, the movements, the postures are around moving energy in our body and shifting that. So I really love bringing movement and psychology together to address the high functioning anxiety in particular that many women in midlife in particular, I think, start to confront when we're 20, when we're 30, we're so busy, we, we've got children or a high job or whatever, we're really busy. By the time we get into our 40s and 50s and then we have menopause hitting at the same time, mm. that's when all those things start to get a bit of a problem. Yep. So what I do now is the yoga, a bit of one-on-one -on -one coaching, workshops that incorporate the meditation, the yoga and the psychology. And eventually my dream is to hold retreats in Southeast Asia 
that incorporate all those things so women can really step out of their lives in order to find themselves. Yeah. What a beautiful thing. Yeah, that's such a lovely Yeah, and I think purpose. also with your with your background, like with your psychology degree coming in as well, it just adds that additional level. So do you have a clinic? Do people come to you or do you do all this work online? How's it set up? So I'm in I'm just north of Cairns. So I do some work here. So I have a I'm very lucky. I have a beautiful deck area that is all got all my memories of going to Bali and Thailand and Vietnam. We have lanterns and candles and so I run yoga and the workshops there. But I also am moving more onto the online space, especially for the coaching. So the one-on-one mentoring coaching, I can do that in person or online. And so really excited to start building more of that online presence. Yep. Do you need any in. more trinkets for your deck? Mel has a couple of camels that she bought back from Dubai that might work. I'm not giving <laughs> up my camels. I'm never giving away my camels. Mm. No one likes them, Kim, but I love them. <laughs> I love my camels. Uh, this old wooden cat from <clears throat> oh, a Bali back in, I don't know, 2010 or something before <clears throat> that, and it fallen off. It looks really a little scary at this point, but it sits on the entrance to my deck and it cannot be thrown away. Yes, it's moved yeah, with me. Totally. Yes. Kim, I've read where you you believe that finding your passion and purpose can be overrated. Can you explain that for us, please? I think so. We're told that we need to find our passion, find our purpose, and then we'll never work another day in our life. Yes. Or we'll be, that yeah, old chestnut. Do that. Yep. And then so many people, I don't know, I was one of them. I was like, I cannot find my purpose. I cannot find my passion. I have had 20,000 different passions in my life. I've done my psychology, the yoga. I've learned drumming. I've done jewellery making, making fermentation workshops, eating psychology, Latin dance, tried all these things searching for my passion and I realize now that there is no one passion and I think by putting the terminology in find your passion find your purpose it's like it's an end goal Mm. and I don't think an end goal it is about just an exploration Mm. of life so I like the idea of being multi-passionate and I like the idea that we can continually be searching and as women have the right to change our mind at any given point in time and decide we want to do something new or yes. try something else. Because we're con- just continuing to grow, yeah, remaining curious, only- finding new things. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I think the only proviso I have for that, especially if you're someone who may have high-functioning anxiety and be a bit of a perfectionist, is make sure that your constant chasing of new ideas and new passions and new purposes isn't your way of avoiding failure or avoiding stepping out of your comfort zone. And by that, and I've noticed it in myself, by that I mean that when you learn something new and I learn things pretty quick, like I get things really quickly, then I reach a point where pushing myself any further might risk failure and that might not be comfortable at all. So I'll switch directions and learn something new, which is much more comfortable than pushing myself past my comfort zone with a particular topic. So on one hand, yes, please chase many different passions and purposes and try many different things, but just check that you're not running away from things too soon in order to avoid the possibility of failure. Great advice, Kim. Great advice, advice, isn't it? Because I think we're all guilty of that, aren't we? Like but it we, also we don't gives you like the failing. freedom to change your mind as well, but yeah. you just question it. Yeah, and getting out of your comfort zone. We've all been there. It's not comfortable. That is why we avoid it. It is that mm. we find ourselves in that cycle. Yeah. And I <clears throat> sometimes when you find something new and you love it and you think this is it, you run in 100 miles an hour all guns are blazing and then you go, oh, actually, bored, boring, oh. next. Mm, I get mm, bored really quickly gosh. as well. Yeah, so it's recognising yeah. is that boredom or is that just a fear of failure? Sometimes it may just be boredom. Oh, I know. Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely get bored quickly. I know that. Mm. So, Kim, <laughs> we are starting to run out of time, unfortunately, but I do want to talk fun facts. Okay. Yeah, so you Yeah, yes. yeah. So you've danced in an old school rat pack style ballroom in Havana in Cuba to the Buena Vista Social Club after being detained by police and scammed by a young couple and being the only non-Cuban there. Best night ever. 
Okay. Tell. Yeah. Spill the tea, as the young people say. Spill the tea. So I have always, all my life, dreamed of going to Cuba. I don't really know why. I do love Latin music, so maybe it was that. But I'd always had this dream of going to Cuba. And then back, it was again through that 2016, I was doing my eating psychology certificate, which required me to go to Colorado to do the final conference and testing there. And so I thought, let's go down to Cuba. So myself... And my partner went to Cuba. We got there. It is quite, what would you say, an eye-opener. Mm. Their level of poverty and how run down their whole society and infrastructure has become was quite shocking. So there was that. And we stayed in a little homestay home place. And within half an hour, we thought, we've got to go out. And I don't know if your listeners are aware of Buena Vista Social Club. If you're into Latin music, they were the big rage back were. 50 years ago. Yep. And I've always wanted to see them. And we so we went out and we found this couple, like within two steps of coming out of our, where we were staying, this young couple in their 20s, and they just started talking to us. And we were so naive thinking, aren't they so friendly? <gasps> and they said, there's this event happening, the Buena Vista Social Club are playing, we can take you. And I was like, <laughs> yes, let's go. Let's do whatever they say. And we followed them and they said, let's have we need to have dinner first. So we had dinner, which we bought them. Mm, starting to get a little concerning here. And then as we were leaving there, the police stopped us. And of course, they don't speak any English and they have big machine guns. And they made us stand in the corner while they were yelling at this young couple and the young couple were yelling at them and they wouldn't let us go. We tried to go to walk away and they wouldn't let us go. So eventually that got resolved. And then they took my partner down to buy cigars and he left and I stayed with the female, left with the young guy. Two hours have gone by. Oh, no. He came back looking like he had PTSD. He said he'd gone down this dark alley where it was like buildings had been bombed into like this gangster-type situation. Ended up buying the best cigars he's ever (laughs) found in his life. He did actually say he thought he was going to die. And he got into the situation where he's down in this dark alley and he had no choice but to buy them anyway because there was backing out at that point. By this time we were starting to realise that something was going on because then they started asking for money for their young child, et cetera. But the upshot of all that, we did realise afterwards we found out that it is a scam that they do. Yeah. We didn't care because we got to this big old-style ballroom and went in and it was the original Buena Vista Social Club members. They were like 80 years old. Yeah, I was going to say that I think that not all of them are still with us at the moment, yeah. Not me, I know. And it was them. They were up on stage. They were playing away. There was no other Western people in the room. All we could say was mojito. That was the only (laughs) only thing you needed to say, really. And then I ended up in a Congo line with all these Cubans dancing all night to Buena Vista Social. And can't they dance? We got ripped off. But we didn't care. No. It was like, what, what a great story to have. And you're still talking about yes. it all these years later. Luckily. Yeah, yeah. For those people yeah. out there, we don't <laughs> recommend it. <laughs> this one worked out well. No. And so what the police were actually trying to do was to protect us. Yes. Oh, they, yeah. Was this happening? But we had no idea at the time. We kept trying to say, here's our passport. Where mm. We thought we were in, but they were actually trying to Yeah, they to knew they were scammers, from- yeah. Where's Google Translate? Yeah, when gosh, you need- <laughs> yeah. But I have been to Cuba as well and I totally understand. It just, it, it makes your head hurt. It's just hard to it- comprehend all these yep. beautiful, stunning buildings that are just dilapidated. For, mm. Yeah, and the things that you see every day like supermarkets and convenience stores, there's none of that because mm. they're all on rations okay. and, yeah, yeah. It just every day when you'd get home you'd be like trying to put it all together in your head, but stunning. Yes, yeah. Mm. Love that. It's amazing. What a story. Kim, it's now time for our wrap-up questions. So are you ready for this? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little bit of hesitation there. So if you could go back in time, what would the 50-ish Kim tell the 20-ish Kim? What advice? Mm. What little pearl mm. of wisdom do you yeah. have to yourself? Stop giving a shit what everyone thinks about you. 
because most of the time they're not even thinking about you to start with. And secondly, you are so freaking awesome. Mm. Like, seriously, you're smart, capable, you're interesting, you're funny. Stop worrying that you're not good enough because you are. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Boy, oh, boy. Here's cheers to that. Yeah, here's here's cheers cheers to that. We applaud you for that answer. That's a ripper. I love Mm. that because it's true. And you would have been, like, you're awesome now. So, of course, you were awesome when you were 20, but you just didn't have that level of And you will continue to be awesome, and we probably need, as I always say, to give ourselves that same advice right now. Yeah, yeah. So moving forward, because we don't want to be in our 70s thinking, oh, if only we'd be more confident in our 50s. Yeah. And that's what I'm wanting to do in the next few years. I'm really ready to step out of even where I am now into the next thing and the next version of me, which I feel is at the precipice and maybe some of the listeners can experience this as well, where you you go in cycles and then you get to the precipice where you know that there's an opportunity to even step up bigger Mm. or step out bigger, do something bigger. But we just want to stay where we are, but we want to be in the next phase. You feel ready, but, yeah, that jump, how do I get from here to there? It's almost like we're impatient. I can see myself there, but I want to be there now. So let's just do that then. And I don't really want to let go of all this that I have. Yes. But I know I have to do in order to go to the next phase. So whether that's leaving a job or another job or whether it's just whatever it is, it's you don't want to let go of the old, but you want you have to. Mm. The, the it's next. the feel the fear and do it anyway. There's oh, genius yeah. in boldness. Oh, listen to oh, you listen just to rattling them off. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it took me the whole podcast to be able to string a sentence together, and I got there in the end. <laughs> So that's all we have time for today, unfortunately. But if you would like to know more about the incredible Kim Adams, we've put links in our show notes to her socials and her website where there will be information about potential retreats in Asia. Don't forget to stay in touch. Follow us on Instagram at don'tgiver50 and email us at hello at don'tgiver50.com.au. If you have a suggestion for a topic you'd like us to discuss or if you would like to put yourself or someone you know forward to be a guest, go to our website at don'tgiver50.com.au. And while you're there, sign up to be part of our 50-ish tribe. We'd love to have you on board. Remember, awesome 50-ishers, life is for living. Don't give a 50 because we're all 50 and awesome regardless of age and living and ageing is an absolute privilege and just being awesome is our right. It took me the whole podcast to be able to string a sentence together and I got there in the end. <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 